Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that move, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week. We've got another tough one to break down as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 290. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell about the Eagles and Seahawks on Monday Night Football. What did we take away from the All-22? What is the big-picture state of this team? We'll discuss that and look ahead to next week's matchup against the Green Bay Packers right at the top of the show in Chalk Talk. Before we get things going with that segment though just two quick reminders number one if you have not yet lately please jump on apple Podcasts, leave us a rating leave us a comment it is the best way to throw us your support as we get into the final quarter of the nfl season if you've got a question i will absolutely always answer it right here on the show also for those of you who are into the nfl draft please go check out the journey to the draft podcast as well we're over there talking nfl draft top prospects team building philosophy twice a week myself Dane, uh, Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell, Ross Tucker. We are on there every single week, twice a week, so you can go check that out. We just broke down Dane's latest mock draft, who he's got the Eagles taking, who he's got them slotted to. Uh, it's a really interesting pick. Hope you guys go and check that out on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Again, you can find that wherever podcasts can be found. All right, that being said, let's dive into our show right now, right here on Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, time to welcome back to the show my friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Greg, uh... Tuesday, we're recording this show now. Obviously, the Eagles playing on Monday Night Football. Um, You and I have both gone through the film. Tough watch on the offensive side. Um, you know, I said at the top, it was, it was a, a, a difficult game to be able to watch. Uh, offensively, I mean, you start the game with five three and outs to, to get things going. And that's a uh, obviously not a great way to get going in a football game against another offense that you know has the explosive potential that the Seahawks do. Um, the Eagles could not get things going early in this game. Uh, they were able to, to start getting some things going, with, you, know, you know, converting on third down. I believe at one point they had converted seven of eight in the middle of the game, um, but ultimately could not finish drives, could not put it into the end zone. Uh, you know, they got the Hail Mary at the end of the game to, to make it a one-score game, but ultimately uh, the offense just could not get into any kind of rhythm or, you know, or feel ultimately in this game. No, and and that's – these. These slow starts obviously are a big problem. It's very tough uh, just for your overall team when you start slowly. And fortunately, and we'll get to this momentarily, that their defense, I thought, played pretty well in this game for the most part. And they were able to keep it a relatively close game for at least a quarter, quarter and a half. But it's really, really difficult. And unfortunately, that's been the trend uh, that they haven't been able to really put points on the board early and they fall behind. Yeah, it's you know, and it's it's just like everything else. You know, when people when the when the Eagles were two for twenty one on third down in those two weeks, it's like, oh, well, what's the issue? Like, there's nothing where you can kind of ma- wave a magic wand and say, yeah, like this is the uh, this is the problem on these opening scripts. This is the problem. It's well, there's never not, one thing, Fran. There's never the one I thing. Both know from watching tape for many years, probably me a little longer than you, just because uh, m- you know my birthday number is a little bigger than yours. A little but, bit different. Uh, 
just a little bit. But I mean, there's, it, it, there's never one thing when it comes to problems on either side of a ball. Yeah. And, you know, the Eagles could not pass protect. Uh, there were missed throws. There was drops. There were uh, the, the run game could not get going. I mean, they, they ran four times for uh, 15 yards and, you know, on first down in this game, um, you got the penalties, you had sacks on third down. I mean, it was or on first down rather. It was, it was bad. It was, uh, and honestly, I don't even, I'm at this point, I said this uh, on Monday night on the post game show. We've been saying the same things about the offense now for the last handful of weeks. Like, I'm almost at a loss for words of how to describe it. So I guess the, the only way I'll ask, and I, I almost say, like, after this, we can kind of put the offense to bed over. You know, we'll touch on it a little bit as we get into the Packers game. But, like, what does the film show? And you're, when you're, 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 you're sitting, you're watching the film Tuesday morning. What did the film show you from the Eagles' loss, you know, just from the offensive side of the ball before we get over the defense? And all, you know, all you can do is speak about it from – a film standpoint. Now, obviously, watching them every week, there are times you sort of interpret and extrapolate from watching the film. But I think it, you can only respond to what the film shows. So here's what the film shows in in some areas, and then my general interpretation of what the film shows in other areas. Um, number one, the Seahawks played far more cover one in game than in this game this season. The reason for that is, and the tape showed it in this particular game, but obviously the Seahawks had game plan for this game, is that the Eagles wide receivers continue to struggle to separate and win versus man coverage. So what that often means for a quarterback is it does not give Wentz to find throws. So and what the film also shows, Fran, is that the Eagles continue to run individual isolation routes. And by that, I mean they don't run a lot of route combinations that create opportunities for receivers to win versus man coverage, whether it's mesh, whether it's picks, whether it's stacks, whether it's bunch, the kinds of things that help receivers win versus man. You don't see those things on film. So let me ask you this question, Greg, because you know we, we've talked about that for the last couple of weeks. What, obviously, there are pros and cons to everything. If there was one perfect thing, everybody would do that. What are the pros to operating an offense where it's a lot of independent routes? What are the, what are the positives to take away from that uh, if you are a, an offensive staff? Well, the, what you can get from that is if you pretty much can read pre-snap that it's man coverage, which is very often the case when it's defined man coverage as Seattle played and as many previous teams have played against the Eagles, is the quarterback can pick out someone to throw to. You know, we can say, hey, here's my guy. Here's the matchup I like best. And then you pick that guy out. Now, if that guy doesn't win, you often can get stuck because obviously there's a timing and a rhythm to a pass game. So, for instance, if you pick out any particular receiver, and I'm not knocking anybody. Of course, of course. Let's say you decide, hey, I like Alshon against this guy. That's where I'm going to look. And for whatever reason, Alshon doesn't separate early in the route stem and you're on him, and you know, you wait that extra beat because you think he might, but he doesn't. Then you get stuck because there's a timing and a rhythm. So what happens then if on the other side of the field, Jalen Rager does do a better job of separating that becomes dead because there's a timing and a rhythm to the pass game. So what happens is fans might see on a replay or whatever. Oh, Jalen Rager, look, he, he won, but it doesn't work like that. Right. You know, there's a timing and a rhythm and 
you know, unless you're going to leave the pocket and move around and then everything becomes different in terms of timing and rhythm. But that's the advantage of, of uh, theoretically of running individual isolation routes is the quarterback can pick out, hey, that's my guy. I'm going to him. I feel good about it. Yeah, it certainly, you know, in theory, again, it gives you the, a lot of different, a lot of optionality as a quarterback. And you talked about if you recognize that it's man coverage, it's not even just from the matchup standpoint, but from uh, a man and zone standpoint, you might say, all right, I've got five different routes. I know that this route will be good against man. I know this route might be good against zone. This route might be good against the two high zone. This route, right. the one high zone. Right. You have different options throughout the course of the concept yeah. that you wouldn't necessarily and have. And there's, if it's, yeah, exactly. You and I both know there's a lot of different philosophies. Yep. Neither one's, none of them are right or wrong. Right. You know, there's 10 different ways to, to do different things in the NFL, you know, there's many ways to run a pass game. There's been a lot of successful pass games in the NFL that have totally different concepts. Yep. You know, there's many ways to do things. No so question. it's it's not a matter of what's right or wrong. Um, you know, it's just, as we know right now, what the Eagles are trying to get done for many reasons is not working out. And one of those, one of the big reasons why it continued to show up in this game, uh, protection has continued to be, be an issue. And the Eagles, have, I think the number is 22 different offensive line combinations, yep. uh, which is like absurd to even say out loud. Like I've read, I've read the stat number numerous times today. This is the first time I've said it out loud, and it's it's still silly to even say. But um, you know, the the pass protection did not hold up well enough in this game. Part of that is on Carson Wentz's, you know, on his doing as well. But uh, the protection, uh, you know, once again, has been an issue. Well, and that's going to be a big part of this coming week as well. Look, here's what happens with quarterbacks. And this is my sense. Now I'm going to extrapolate just a little bit. Okay. You know, obviously I've been watching tape for a lot of years. So, you know, I get a, I, I get a sense. Is every one of my senses right? No, but I just get a sense. So my sense watching Carson Wentz at this point is that he's anticipating pressure at times. And that is negatively impacting his patience and his vision in the pocket. Now, I don't know that 100% for a fact, friend, because, you know, only Carson Wentz could tell me that. But that's my sense watching tape. And when a quarterback starts to anticipate pressure – then it becomes a problem. I mean, I can tell you right now that Tom Brady's anticipating pressure in Tampa because he's been under a lot of duress this year. So even great quarterbacks, if that starts happening, it negatively impacts their ability to function effectively. Let me ask you one question too. And I thought about this. We were talking about the, the looking ahead to the green Bay Packers game and uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers and how well he's playing this year. You've watched Aaron. You and I have had many conversations about Aaron Rodgers uh, just because the Eagles and Packers have played each other a lot. We've had lots of conversations about Russell Wilson. Uh, and those are two quarterbacks. And it's so weird that the Eagles played these two guys who are both playing at a very high level here this season uh, and at times have been playing at an MVP level. I would say both guys on the short list for the MVP this year. Both guys have been very up and down, I would say, and just watching down to down, play to play over the last you know, five, six years. You know, you, there, there have been stretches right. where both guys have been really questionable and the, you know, the production hasn't always been there. And you know, there have been bad turnovers and bad decisions and bad sacks. So I guess that's the, the not necessarily the takeaway, but almost like a, a interesting going into this matchup, knowing that Wentz is not playing as well as anyone would like, including himself, say like, hey, look, like, Russell Wilson has had his had his share of troubles over the years. Aaron Rodgers has had his share of troubles over the years. Look at both of these guys. Both of these guys have found ways to turn it around uh, through, you know, as they've been able to plug away. And I guess that's kind of the glimmer of hope looking forward, just big picture, looking at Carson Wentz. Yeah, and, and again, 
I, I'm not smart enough to know the answer to how you turn it around. Of course, yes, exactly. You know, I mean, you know, I think, look, again, here's what the film shows. And it started on the first play of the game. I know you you saw it as well as I did. To me, that was a high-low concept where they ran Rodgers as the low receiver and Goddard from the other side as the high receiver. They anticipated that the Seahawks, who, who in normal down and distance, do tend – early in games to play more cover three than anything else. They had a nice cover three concept, a high low. Um, to me, watching the tape, I sat there and said, I thought the ball should have gone to Goddard. Only Carson Wentz could tell you why it didn't. Maybe I'm wrong. But, you know, I think that that's a little bit part of it. I think when quarterbacks struggle, and you mentioned Rodgers, because I think this was an issue at times with Aaron Rodgers, and I know our buddy Ben, who, who studies the Packers probably in greater detail than either you and I, yeah. um, he would probably agree with us 100%, you know, based on film study, that there were times, not this year anywhere near as much, but over the last two, three years, where you'd watch Aaron Rodgers and you'd say, why didn't he throw it? That was the design of the play. It's right there. Why didn't he throw it? We don't know. We can't answer that question. Yep. So I can't answer it for Carson Wentz either. But, you know, I think I've been watching tape long enough where I get a sense of what the route concepts are versus particular coverages. And you get a sense that, hey, this is, I think, where the ball should go. Yeah. And I think, you know, at times now, when I watch tape of Carson Wentz, I feel like he's not quite seeing it with the clarity that, you know, he's seen it in previous years. We, You know, we've seen him do this. Yep. Yeah. Really – when you talk about quarterback play, we talked, was it last week or the week before, about you know the, the confidence that goes into that, the guys that get into a rhythm and you start getting into a flow of the game. When you're talking about the different offensive line combinations, the obviously you know all the the the, the different ideas with the new coaching staff and uh, all the different voices, and then you talk about like the uh, the the wide receiver drops. There there have just been so many issues uh, that have kind of culminated into now. It's an issue that they've got to get corrected. They've got to get Carson Wentz uh, back into a rhythm. But uh, you and I have talked about that uh, almost ad nauseum over the last few weeks. Let's go over to the defensive side. Uh, Which I thought was a good performance. I thought we saw some really good things from the defense. Was there an aspect of the game uh, or a a specific position group or player that kind of caught your eye? Or uh, what was your big takeaway watching the defense in this matchup? I got to tell you, if you're talking about individuals, again, I thought Alex Singleton really stood out in this game. Mm. I thought he played really well. Um, It's clear the Eagles believe he's their best linebacker. I think he's played every snap now for a couple of weeks. I think so, yep. Uh, So, you know, I think it was evident after a game or two that he was their best linebacker in terms of of movement traits, and I think it's played out that way. Uh, I thought McLeod had some really good plays, again, playing downhill. He had a really good game. you know, post safety position. Um, I thought Jalen Mills bounced back after he did not I, I was play say, quite I, well. Yeah, yeah. I, I said I made the note that Mills had some good snaps in the run game, playing with aggression and competitiveness, especially heading in when it was man coverage and the tight end blocked. I thought he did a really nice job. I thought Fletcher Cox had some really good snaps in this game. Yep. Um, overall, I thought they played the run game really, really well. Yeah, I thought that because we know Seattle, they they do run the football. Look, it was his first game back, and they didn't want to, you know, overwork him, obviously. So they gave Hyde the majority of the carries. But if, if if I remember correctly, I think Hyde had 15 rushes for 22 yards. Yeah, I believe that's right. Yeah, obviously he had the touchdown that came back off the penalty, but I think right. ultimately but that was a look, penalty. That was a penalty, no question. I think when you look at uh, you know the defensive performance, a bunch of guys stood out. That's why when I I did some of my breakdowns today. 
it was tough to kind of hone in because I felt like Derek Barnett had some really good snaps. Josh Sweat had some really good snaps. Yeah. I thought Javon Hargrave was really disruptive. Yeah, um, no. you, you mentioned Fletcher Cox. Brandon Graham did some good things. I mean, it was it was a, a really good performance uh, by this defensive front. I thought Duke Riley uh, really stood out with his block recognition in this game. There were a couple where he was a little bit slow to trigger downhill, but there were some where he defeated blocks with quickness. He was able to play through contact. He saw things. So um, I, I thought overall, uh, the, everybody, all three levels, really stood out uh, you know, in defending the run. Pass game, but it was a, a little bit of a mixed bag. Obviously, look, DK Metcalf had a career game for himself, career high in terms of receiving yards. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are quick to, to beat up on Darius Slay. He was the first person to beat up on himself uh, post-game. I will say, you and I talked about this last week. I mean, we saw DK Metcalf do this to Stephon Gilmore. We saw him do it to Travis White this year, two of the best corners from a year ago. Really the only guy uh, that has really kind of put the clamps on him was Jalen Ramsey a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, we saw him do it to Patrick Peterson last week. I mean, DK Metcalf, one of the most you know impressive yeah. physical specimens, uh, regardless of position in the NFL right now. Yeah, I mean that that's look. That was a one-on-one matchup pretty much all throughout the game. It's a tough matchup. Metcalf is a physical specimen. Um, obviously, I think when you, you know when all said and done, did Metcalf get the better of it? Yeah, Slay had some good snaps as well. Metcalf, you know, as I said, did get the better of it. Uh, but you know, he also made a couple of tough catches. The slot fade, I think, early in the fourth quarter was really good coverage. Just a, uh, an outstanding contested catch by Metcalf. But uh, you know, overall, yeah. Metcalf did get the better of it, but Slay, look, Slay competed the whole game. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I thought that, um, you know, overall the defense was a, certainly a bright spot uh, in this game. The way they were able to keep the defense or to keep the entire team in it, uh, you got some key fourth down stops uh, from Derek Barnett, and, and some of those were set up uh, by some of his teammates. I thought overall his snap anticipation on that first one down in the goal line uh, was able to beat the block from DK Metcalf. He was trying to pin down uh, on the defensive end, did a great job jumping that. Uh, Javon Hargrave did a good job getting some penetration on that play as well. And then on the second one on the sack, I thought, I wasn't sure. What did you think in terms of that one, Greg? Because it was fourth and two. They were running a, a rub route at the top of the screen. It looked like Tyler Lockett was going to break open. He Russell Wilson was really quick to get off it. I wasn't sure. Yeah, he if he was. thought, do you think that it was the like Brandon Graham's color, like flashing in front of his eyes that forced the tuck it? Um, that kind of caused. I that? looked at that play a number of times, and I just kept coming back to in my mind. Again, you never know what's in a quarterback's mind, Fran. That's the right. thing, you know. So we can talk about it for ten minutes, but. I thought that, and who was the defender? Lockett came from the slot, right? So was it yep. Roby Coleman? Yep, exactly. I thought Roby Coleman was just a hair close because if you leave that ball a little too far inside, that's an interception that's maybe returned for a touchdown. Right. So again, without knowing what's in Wilson's mind, I just thought maybe, hey, just it wasn't quite there, just didn't feel comfortable. Now, it, what you said it's also possible because Wilson is 5'10 half. So maybe he just didn't feel like he had a clear line of sight either. Yeah, I, I thought I watched that a bunch of times and tried to get a sense of why he got off that so fast. And I wasn't sure if it, it was Brandon Graham or not. But either way, he tries to escape, you know, step up into the pocket. Derek Barnett spins back, retraces the rest Barnett, of the I was going to ask you this because I, I looked at this 10 times. Yeah. Do you think Barnett was going to spin back anyway because you're taught never to go past Wilson, or do you think just ancillary, you know, peripheral vision, he kind of saw Wilson leave the – I mean, we'll never know this unless he has Derek Barnett, but I couldn't figure that out. 
I felt it was more the la- the the former in that he was spinning back because he did not want to get deeper. Felt that he was getting ready to step up and said, "I'm about to be deeper. I need to spin back." Inside. But you never want to do against Russell Wilson. Obviously. Exactly. You don't right. want to be. You're not. You're not getting him down if you're three yards behind him. No. Um, no. Yeah. No. Uh, so they. Uh, I thought that overall that was a really good play uh, from Derek Barnett. So. Um, yeah, the, the defense did some really good things, uh, you know, on third down, they were able to get off the field. Um, you know, the turnover is not quite there, obviously still, uh, but overall, uh, some bright spots to take away. I tell you, it was an interesting coverage. And again, you know, this is a Jim Schwartz question, but obviously on the 52 yarder to a DK Metcalf that in some ways changed the game a little bit, right. um, which was third and 13 though, you know, obviously they ended up rushing six. Um, it was not a six man pressure because it was not cover zero. So they rushed six, somebody added in because the back Hyde, you know, it, it was all dependent on where Hyde would go, obviously, because if he free released, somebody was going to go with him. Um, right. Yep. You know, I think if he released immediately to his right, I think the defensive end to that side, and I forget who that was on that play, would have gone. It was probably Brandon Graham. Yes, um, I think yep, I think so. Yeah, he would have gone with, he would have peeled because somebody would have gone with him. They weren't going to leave him alone. But it wasn't, the coverage was not man in a strict sense. It was almost like a zone match, but yet McLeod came and played low, almost mm. like he was a robber, but it was not, you know, but it was not pure man. In other words, Slay was giving up the post. Yep. It was a, it was a tough one to kind of figure out. That's yeah, I, I thought so too. Yeah. It was uh, at first watching on TV. I felt like it was a single high coverage, but then as, as I watched, I felt like uh, it's kind of a quarters look on the back end. But it was since it was the blade, it was a it was a t- that was kind of one of the that was one of those ones where I was like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, it was I, definitely a, it was definitely a called five man pressure. Yes, hundred percent came because of you know how it played out. Yeah, but it wasn't a six man pressure because that means you're playing pure zero. Pure zero, which they were not. Zero. Yeah, exactly. It was uh, it was one of those where I'm watching a handful of times. I was like, I'm not going to get this one. I need to keep going. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but but those are the ones that make me crazy. I keep. I know. I, I take way too much time watching those plays, and at the end, I have the same thought that I had it the first time I saw it, which was. I don't have a clue. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's get over to the, this weekend's matchup here, Greg, because obviously the Eagles have a big test uh, going up against this Green Bay Packers team. Um, you know, the year two with Matt LaFleur really feels like they've leaned into this identity. You know, I, I feel like last year, um, you know, we started to get a sense of that, but Aaron Rodgers playing this year really within the structure of this offense, uh, really executing it at a, at a very high level. I mean, uh, you know, they, they do a lot well. What is it, though, that stands out to you? You know, if you're saying, all right, this is, uh, you know, if you're looking at, like, keys to the game, you know, this Eagles defense, they're getting ready for this for this Green Bay offense. What's at the top of the whiteboard? You say, like, all right, this is the number one thing we've got to handle. Well, there's a couple of things, but here's what I'll start with. Yeah. When Rodgers feels that he has man-to-man coverage on the outside, he's taking a shot. Yep. And – my guess is, you know, and obviously we're doing this on Tuesday afternoon, assuming no issues, you know, with with what's been going on. We're going to get Darius Slay is going to match up to Devonta Adams. Right. Uh, and but you know what? That's irrelevant to Rodgers. If, if it's man to man and he feels he's got it, he's going to throw it to Adams because Rodgers is so confident. And, and we know he's a great I mean. He's such a great thrower of the football, friend. You know, the more right. you watch him, I mean, we can talk about things over the last couple of years. And then clearly there were some concerns. Maybe he didn't buy in. Maybe who knows what's in his head. But he's such a great thrower of the football. So that's one thing that really stands out to me. Now, there's two staples to me of the Packers offense this year that that are you see every week. Motion and play action slash play action boot. You know, based on quarterback rating, Rodgers is the best play action passer in the NFL. 
Yep. You're going to get motion. You're going to get play action and you're going to get play action boot. And he, he I guarantee Rogers is kicking himself last week because they had a great play call and he left the ball too far outside to Devonte Adams. And if he had taken him across the field, you know, he would have had a 60, 65 yard touchdown. And I know, you know, the play I'm talking about. Yes, exactly. Right. Yep. He, he, so I think those things stand out to me when you talk about, you know, just their offense in general. And then Rogers, the fact that he will go after one-on-ones. Yeah. I think, you know, when you mentioned the, the pre-snap motion element of it, I, I was actually shocked to see that they are only ninth in the league in pre-snap motion, but just because it's such a big part of their offense. I guess that speaks to how much it's used around the league, but uh, they're ninth most in pre-snap motion. And they're really, really effective with it. And yep. not only does it open things up for them, you know, in the past game, but, in the run game, it really, really does a lot for them in terms of getting Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, getting those guys downhill on the perimeter, uh, you know, really does a nice job of affecting second and third level defenders. And, and that's yeah. what you're going to see uh, most often in this game. Tyler Irvin uh, was that guy for them uh, throughout the first chunk of the year. He's been hurt the last couple of weeks. They signed Tavon Austin this week. We'll see I saw if, that. Yeah, we'll see. I, my guess is is he's that guy for them. But you know, moving forward, uh, we'll see if he's in, if he's uh, kind of in, uh, implanted into that offense quick enough to make an impact for this Sunday. But uh, you know, whether it's Adams, Marquez Valdez Scantling, you know, you'll see Alan Lazard, you'll see the tight ends. I mean, you'll see all these guys, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Like all these right. guys are giving the ball uh, on these jets, and not even just giving the ball, but you know, used on the jet uh, action as well. It's a big part of what they do. It's given the Eagles some fits early in the season. I feel like they've kind of bounced back a little bit over the last couple of weeks. The Eagles had a couple of those plays against Seattle where Rodney McLeod hunted them up in the flat, ran the alley, and finished one-on-one. Hopefully that's a sign of things to come. They will need that against the, the Packers this week because it's a big part of what they do, obviously. Well, the note I made, is I, and, and I probably make this note every week in my notes, but I said – and, and it's funny to say this because Aaron Rodgers is so special as an individual, but the Packers are a highly schemed offense now yeah. that features multiple personnel packages, formations, motions, shifts, play action, play action boot. I mean, obviously they have great talent at the quarterback position and a great wide receiver in Adams who I, I mean, I know they just played Metcalf and he's freakish just in terms of size and speed, but I personally and people can debate this, and it's a fun debate, but I personally think Devontae Adams is the most complete and best receiver in the NFL right now. I don't I don't disagree with that argument, especially when you talk about who's the most complete. Um, maybe not the toughest matchup. You would say, like, oh, DK Metcalf might be the thing, Julio Jones, the tough matchups, but in terms of who's the most complete receiver, I think you'd definitely make the argument uh, for Devontae Adams. Let me, I was having this discussion earlier, actually, with Ben as we were just talking about the matchup, getting ready for Eagles game plan this week. When you look at this offense, and obviously Matt LaFleur comes from Kyle Shanahan, and there's a bunch of teams in the NFL running this system, and you know this is the variation of this system. You look at sure. uh, you know Minnesota with uh, Kirk Cousins. You look at Cleveland with Baker Mayfield. The L.A. Rams with Jared Goff. Certainly San Francisco, obviously, with Jimmy Garoppolo. You look back to when Shanahan was in Houston with Matt Schaub. You know, all these guys. You see the well, line. He kind went of to the Super Bowl as the O.C. with Matt Ryan, and I mean, you know, that was that system. The only time we've seen a quarterback with these, with that, that supreme physical skill set, to play in this offense, I, I do you go back to Denver with John Elway? Like, is that it? Like, it, so to see them operate this offense with this kind of plus talent at the quarterback position, I feel like that's why we're seeing this thing really kind of take off this year. I couldn't agree more because Rodgers. This is no knock on John Elway, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course. We're not knocking John Elway. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, Rodgers is just more of a 
naturally precise ball placement thrower, hmm. you know, uh, than, than John was, you know, John had uh, just ridiculous traits in so many other areas. You know, he was a more physical guy than Aaron Rodgers. Clearly. You, you were breaking down film for like 15 years by that point, by the time Elway had kind of hit his stride. Yeah, right? so, I mean, there's no <laughs> knock on John Elway. They're different guys, um, you know, both great. But, you know, Rodgers is, is a true precision passer. I mean, yep. he's, you know, he's made throws throughout his career that you just, you know. And, and when I say throws, Elway, and again, we're not having a debate here about who's better. That's not the yeah, point. yeah, yeah. Elway was a power thrower who just could drive the football. While Rodgers has a, an incredibly strong arm, he's a little different kind of thrower than than Elway was. And, and you know, that's what makes, for me anyway, I love evaluating quarterbacks. And, you know, I'll be right probably more than I'm wrong. I will be wrong, as I'm often pointed out on Twitter when I am wrong. And and I will be wrong, and I'm sure I'll be wrong again. But Rodgers is, is – he's different. But he when he's at his best, he is – so precise with his ball placement, it's just silly. Mm. The Eagles have played a bunch of these teams already this year. They play this kind of system. So I don't think we need to harp so much on the system itself. It's going to be a lot of the things that we have talked about. But I think ultimately the the big thing that separates these guys, this unit, this uh, operation from Cleveland and the Rams, the running back involvement in the pass game at all three levels of the field kind of sets them apart. When you look at Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, how they use these guys. Obviously, Tyler Irvin is, is a running back, but ultimately used as that kind of gadgety jet, uh, jet player, um, and he's out of the lineup anyway at the moment. But using these guys vertically down the field, down the seam, I mean, that, that's kind of an X factor for them as well. Yeah, I mean, they do. You know, the thing is, is I think one thing we've seen over the last month is they've been attacking. I don't want, again, I can't remember every play, nor can you, you know, we study this and I watch them every week and you've been studying them in detail for this week. So I can't remember every play, but it seems like they've really been trying to attack a little more vertically over the last month. Maybe just the system is coming together more and more, you know, Valdez scaling has become a little bigger part. The tight end, uh, Robert Tanyan has vertical ability. I thought that 39 yard touchdown this week was a beautifully designed play play you know that's the thing they can beat you with design vertically and they can beat you with Rodgers just making great throws I mean the Eagles are not a a split safety defense so you're not going to see you know much cover four at all but I mean a few weeks ago against San Francisco Valdez Scantling caught that touchdown which was a great cover four beater concept you probably remember that from doing your research question you know, so they, they've been doing a really good job tactically and schematically attacking as well. But like I said, if, if Rodgers gets man to man, you know, he's going to attack it. And, and whether they attack it vertically or whether they attack it with crossers where you run away from coverage, but uh, they, they just do a really good job. I think when you look at this receiving core, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of big body guys, I would say, in terms of you look at, uh, you know, Alan Lazard and Equinemius St. Brown, Valdez Scantling is tall and long and lean, but he's expl- really explosive I and mean, legitimately like a, a vertical threat with long speed. Uh, he's had issues with drops, but he, he can take the top off and can make you pay down the field. And then Adams, uh, the way that they use him both inside and outside is also so lethal. You talked about his skill set, um, but the way that they use him and all the different tight splits and the the, the kind of binds oh, that yeah. they put you in as a defense. I mean, you've got to defend against him with a two-way go, and they love getting him the ball on the move. It's it's a tough group to get to. No, I mean, the issue you face, it. and then we can move on to the other side of yeah. the ball. Well, and, and plus, we'll just mention Aaron Jones, who I think is a really complete back. Yep. But Jamal Williams is also a very good back in my view as well, yeah. uh, who can run and catch, by the way. Um, 
But I was going to say this, you know, we assumed Darius Slay would be on Devonta Adams. I mean, I think that's, you know, I, I got, I think so. I would be my guess. The Eagles all of a sudden change their approach because the one thing you do have in this game, you know, look, you and I both like Devonta Maddox. I think he's feisty. I think he's competitive. I think he's physical, but he's five, nine, five, 10. And, you know, Valdez Scantling is six, three. And you, that would be one concern I might have as we look at this game from a man to man standpoint. Hmm. Because, you know, look, we saw what happened with uh, with David Moore this week, and that was just a fade from the tight red zone. But, yep. you know, obviously he just went right up over Maddox, who was right there. But and, Maddox, and, that, and that has Moore shown up numerous three. times. Yeah, that's shown up yeah. this year I mean, a yeah. few times. And I think they even said it on the broadcast. Uh, I forget if it was Brian Greasy or Lou Riddick had said, I mean, that was good coverage for Maddox. Like he was in the, he did everything he was supposed to do. He just, yeah, it was Lou who said it. Yeah. yeah. He did everything yeah, he, he could he do. Right there. Yep. But so, you know, that would be the only concern is to start throwing the deep balls. To, to Valdez Scandling, and you know, he's just got size. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's, but yeah, so we'll see. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Aaron Jones, a, a complete back in every sense of the word in today's NFL, run game, pass game, um, really decisive, great cutbacks, uh, exceptional cu- uh, contact balance he can create for himself. And then we talked about the pass game and uh, all three levels of the field. Yeah. Uh, so, real quickly, now going over to the defensive side. Uh, Overall identity, in your mind, when you look at Mike Pettin, what are the Eagles? What's the Eagles' offense going to see this week uh, with this Mike Pettin defense? You know, it's an interesting defense because I've known Mike Pettin for a long time, and I remember when he was with Rex Ryan, and they had all these exotic blitzes. You know, and and they were probably Rex's deals, but Mike was a part of that. And and it's really funny to watch how he's evolved over time, because right now with the Packers, and this goes back to last year as well, but it's continued into this year. Number one, he loves to play out of sub packages. They play almost 50% of their defensive snaps out of dimes, six defensive backs. They play a ton of nickel as well. So they'll play nickel to 12 personnel that, you know, they don't, they don't play. I don't want to say they don't play a ton of base. It depends on who they're playing. Obviously. Um, My guess is against the Eagles, they won't play a ton of base. That would be my guess. Would you agree with that? I would. I would say that's probably uh, certainly going to be. I mean, they, there were times last year they played dime to base or to, yeah. to twelve oh, or thirteen yeah. personnel, and I think they've gotten away from that, especially how the playoffs went for them. But I think, yeah, well, yeah, the Eagles, the Eagles going to be a nickel. Miles Sanders to me is a really good back, but the Eagles are not a run team. They're not like you, you're lining up against the the Browns or the the Titans, where everything starts by handing the ball off to Miles Sanders. Right. That's not the way the Eagles play. Yep. Sure. So, my guess is you'll see them in, in nickel and you'll see them in dime. Yeah. Uh, number two, they don't blitz a lot. You know, they're they're a low percentage blitz defense, which, as I said, based on Mike's background, is surprising to me. Um, number three, they don't play a ton of pure man. You know, they, they'll play man, you know, and it depends on the opponent. Uh, and who knows? We could see them play man this week because we know that the, the Eagles, as we discussed based on film study, the Eagles receivers have struggled to separate and win versus man. Um, for the most part, certainly over the last month or so since he's been back from injury, Jari Alexander has been the left corner. Kevin King's been the right corner there. Yeah. They did not match Jari Alexander up to Allen Robinson this week. And you would have thought if you're going to use Alexander as a quote unquote matchup corner, you'd match him up to Allen Robinson. They did not do that. Yeah. I mean, Alexander, we talked about him a lot last year going into this matchup. And uh, one of the more impressive young corners in the league, he's a good athlete. He's competitive as hell. He's instinctive. He's smart. He's disciplined uh, in both man and zone. Uh, Getting him back healthy is big for this defense, but interesting that they did not match him up. And Robinson ended up having a big day this past week. Uh, You know, I think ultimately 
he's the guy that you would view as the matchup guy. And I'll be interested to see ultimately how they try and deploy him this week. You look elsewhere in that secondary, um, you know, Kevin King on one side, they, they rotated Josh Jackson, uh, Chandon Sullivan uh, as a slot corner, former Eagle. Yeah, he's um, had a good year, by the way. He has. He's uh, a good player. Yeah. Now I know Savage got hurt. Do you know what his doing? I guess that, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I, injury was. He did not play after he got hurt. Yeah. I'm going to take a look and see if I can, uh, I mean, Will Redmond came in. He's not a bad player, but yeah. but Savage is a good player. Yeah, I from what I could tell, he's he's okay. But that's we're recording this uh, middle of the day Tuesday, so more right. news could come out uh, on that. But he just had his first two interceptions of his career uh, this past week. You know, athletic kid, versatile. Um, you know, and Adrian Amos, a, a good player as well on the opposite side. Uh, talk about that that front. You, you look at uh, Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith. They were two big ticket free agents last two off seasons ago. Um, have really had strong debuts. The production hasn't quite been there from them, and especially from the Preston Smith angle of it. I know he's kind of come under fire out there in Green Bay a little bit, yeah. but um, you know, you look at Kenny Clark, rock solid defensive tackle, and then those two guys, the, the Smith brothers. It's uh, they've got some formidable players up front. Yeah, I mean, you can't go on the assumption that they're not any good just because they haven't been as dynamic as they were right. a year ago. Of course. You know, coaches don't think like that. Right. They never do. I mean, we they look at their traits and what they could possibly do, particularly against, you know, an Eagles O-line, which, by the way, I thought, just as a quick aside, they had some issues throughout the game uh, this, you know, Monday night, but I thought that they settled in at, you know, a little bit. Uh so we'll see how it is. But, I mean, obviously, I assume a lot is still going to be a left tackle and Peters will still be a right guard. So getting getting back to what they like to do in their dime, okay? In their dime, they very often like to play both Smiths and Gary. And what they do predominantly, predominantly, is that Darius Smith is the one who goes inside. Now, you'll see Gary inside once in a while, very once in a while, Preston Smith. But for the most part, when they have the three defensive ends in the game, so Darius Smith is the one who goes inside and he's a tough, tough match for, for offensive guards. And, uh, you know, that's something to definitely look for in this game. Yeah. I think that'll be certainly be a matchup, uh, to keep an eye on, but, uh, Greg, we'll be back here next week here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade to break this game down. Thanks so much for joining us once again. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Fran. Experience the fastest internet and more in a snap. With Xfinity XFi, you get the speed, the coverage, the control, and security you need for the ultimate in-home Wi-Fi experience. Xfinity, proud partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Great stuff from Greg. You can follow on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That's one way to support the show. But the other way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out today to a few people that left some questions and left some comments. So I wanted to give a shout-out to those three people. We'll start things off with MBN Iboma, who left a five-star review on our Apple podcast page saying, Fran, been reading the column and listening to the podcast for years, so, and then left some nice words about the content and how it helps them learn the game. The question is, how much is Doug Peterson missing Frank Reich? And I, I think, look, everybody misses Frank Reich. Everybody misses all the coaches that go on to, to you know, promotions to other jobs, right? Uh, you know, obviously a big part of the Super Bowl win, but that, that's life in the NFL, right? And again, that was th- three seasons ago, four seasons ago, uh, that he left the Eagles. So, uh, you know, the Eagles have made changes uh, over the last couple of years to the coaching staff, trying to figure out how do you get, you know, back grooving the way that they were in 2017. Um, certainly, 
Frank Reich had a big part in that, but a lot of the coaches that are still here were here in 2017, right? You look at uh, the rest of this coaching staff. I mean, Jeff Stoutland and uh, you know Deuce Staley, obviously Doug Peterson, Press Taylor. Uh, a lot of these guys were here in Philadelphia for that Super Bowl run. So uh, as much as you know, you miss Frank Reich, you miss John DeFilippo as well, uh, coaching the quarterbacks. All these guys that were here. They were a bunch of them were here in 2017, and still, um, you know, have to find a way to get that offense back grooving. Obviously, uh, you know, there's a lot of factors in at play, and when you talk about durability and turnover on the roster and things of that nature. But uh, good question there from MBN. Next one here from longtime listener, right? Him left a five star review on our Apple Podcast page as well, saying, "Look, it's been a tough season uh, to stay hopeful, but uh, you know, your podcast really helps with the information you provide." Quick question, really appreciate that, Will. Number one, but uh, quick question. I remember a few years back, cornerback Trevard Lindley had a tough time getting on the field, and the defensive backs coach at the time said that he needed to work on his T-step footwork. Got me thinking, have you noticed any changes from a technical standpoint from the DBs compared to last year being shown yet from our new defensive backs coach, Marquand Manuel? So, uh, Will, I think the, the honest answer from my end is that I do not study defensive back play well enough that, you know, just kind of buzzing through the film, I'm watching a whole bunch of different things that I can sit here and say with certainty – yeah, I'm seeing a lot of different techniques here from the, from the Eagles' defensive backs. You know, I, I can't sit here and honestly get, give you that assessment. Here's what I can say. I think we've certainly seen some cover, or some changes from a coverage standpoint. You know, They're playing a lot more man coverage uh, this season compared to what they've done in years past. How much of that can be, can be attributed to the acquisition of Darius Slay? I think that certainly has an impact on that as well. I would say we're probably seeing a little bit more press coverage than we've seen in the past, but I think that goes hand-in-hand hand with playing more man. Um, I can't sit here and say that the tech Techniques have changed, but uh, Mark Emanuel, a very well-respected defensive backs coach, and he's got these guys playing well. I mean, they've throughout the course of the season, maybe coming into this week against Seattle, they are one of the best in the league in terms of giving up big plays. They had not given up a lot of plays over the top down the field. Um, you know, obviously they gave up a chunk of them uh, this past week against Seattle, one of the most explosive pass games uh, in the NFL. But overall, uh, the secondary has looked pretty good. They just, you know, there's been moments overall uh, where you know where they've been had, uh, especially down in the red zone. They've given up uh, a little bit more, a few more plays than I think that they would like, although they've turned that around in the last half of the season. So good question there uh, from right him. Sorry, I couldn't give you a, a more extensive answer uh, on the overall technique in the DB room. Uh, third one here from Aaron Hamaker left a five-star review on the Apple podcast page saying, Miles Sanders is not getting enough touches and with a struggling quarterback, you think they would lean more on the run game, which has been successful. So Aaron, uh, look, I think ultimately, look, at the end of the day, and, and I'm a big believer in the run game and uh, you know what it can be for uh, an NFL offense, you throw the ball to win, and I, I do believe in what you're saying too, as well about you know trying to help the quarterback out, get the run game going. There's two parts to this though, with all the the injuries along the offensive line. That has been difficult at times. You know, so right now the Eagles have some you know, starters that are back in the lineup. That has not been the case for much of the year. You you miss Isaac Sayamalu for a large chunk of time. You're uh, the right side with right you know with right tackle with Lane Johnson in and out of the lineup, and now out permanently uh, in the lineup. I, you have a lot of these changes, guys. That really everybody except for Jason Kelsey in and out of the lineup. That's going to impact the effectiveness of the run game. That's a, a big part uh, of success on the ground. It's going to be the the overall performance of the offensive line. And then the other part of it, too, is if you get into a hole, and these, this offense has really struggled for with fast starts offensively, if you get down two, three scores early on, or even if it's one, two scores, if you go down 10 points early in the first quarter – that can get you to lean away from the run game a little bit, especially if you're not having success with it. So if you're only rushing for you know a couple yards of pop and then you know early on, 
and then you're down, you're, you're going to start throwing the ball a little bit more, right? And that's just the, been a the, the little bit of the story over the, uh, the some of these games where you've seen the Eagles not have that level of success. Miles Sanders' numbers from an efficiency standpoint have been really good. I would say that those two big runs that we saw back against Pittsburgh and Baltimore have kind of thrown that off a little bit. Um, but overall... Uh, look, they're not doing anything well uh, at this point. I mean, even just now, I actually pulled these numbers today, uh, working with Ben Fennel, getting ready for Eagles game plan. Just looking on first down, just first down this past week against the Seattle Seahawks, the Eagles had 24 plays on first down for 52 yards. 20 or 2.1 yards per play, three sacks. Um, I mean, just it was a, it's, it's a rough way to start play to start drives, right? You go 2.1 yards per play on first down, 24 plays for 52 yards. It was four runs for 15 yards. Um, you know, and then just kind of juxtaposing that against the last time these two teams, the Eagles Packers, met uh, that back in 2019. In that game, the Eagles overall, 29 first first down plays for 133 yards. 105 of them were on the ground. They ran the ball extremely well in that contest, and he had everybody, uh, you know, all the horses were available in that game. But 4.59 yards per, for, per play on first down. That's a huge, huge difference. And I think ultimately, the, the, whether they're throwing the ball, running the ball, the Eagles are not getting that level of efficiency. They're not getting that level of execution right now uh, offensively. And, and that's uh, one of the things that has been an issue. Um, you know, we've talked about the, the issues they've had on third down, and I know people are tired of hearing about that, but the, the a lot of the issues on third down is because you're on third and nine, third and ten, third and eight, or, you know, those kinds of things uh, lead to a, a struggle to have success. And so, um, you know, first down, a huge, huge part of it, and the, you know, run-pass ratio can, you know, can kind of get skewed uh, by that. But uh, Aaron, good question. Uh, really thanks so much to all three of you guys, Aaron, Wilt, MBN. Three great questions from you. Hope all of you guys got the answers uh, that you guys were looking for. Special thanks as well to Greg Cosell and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings here on Eagles Entertainment. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Line in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I am Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you later this week. There's still time to be in the stands at Lincoln Financial Field this season with an Eagles fan cutout. Put on your game day vest and upload a photo of yourself so that you can join us on game days. Fan cutouts printed by Rico are only $35, and orders of four or more receive a $5 discount per cutout. Best of all, your purchase benefits Eagles Autism Foundation and also waives the registration fee for the 2021 Eagles Autism Challenge event. Order today at PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash cutouts.